Greetings. If you're at home, greetings. My name is Mark. I get to serve as one of the on-staff elders here. And uh, in a moment, it's my delight and privilege to bring the sermon this morning. But a couple things before that. One is, as Justin mentioned, next Sunday is Christmas Eve. And so we'll have our normal service in the morning, but it's going to be an abbreviated service. There won't be the regular Grace Kids ministry. It'll be uh, very limited for a few of the younger kids. And that'll be starting at the same time, 1030, but it'll be a, a little uh, around an hour. So uh, an abbreviated service. And then five o'clock Christmas Eve, come on back for that. We're going to look at Isaiah 9. It's going to be amazing. Um, and uh, as we come into the to the new year, I just wanted to um, talk for just a moment before we, we jump into the sermon about Bible reading. I was listening to a podcast last week, and the speaker was talking about the difficulty that pastors have. Here's the scenario. This pastor is trying to make disciples and see Christ formed in, in the people in his church, and he's got about a half an hour a week when they're hearing the word from him, and then in contrast to that, hours and hours and hours of social media and news and all kinds of other inputs and, and in interactions. And he was just saying how difficult it is in the environment that we live in for Christians to be able to grow. And what he's getting at there is we need a regular Bible intake. Sunday morning is a key part of that. But how can we, how can we drink from those rivers of life? How can we eat the bread of life? And so over the years, many of us have found that just having a plan is an enormous help to getting in the routine of reading the Bible regularly. And uh, for many years, we've been putting out uh, this Bible reading plan. It's available at the Welcome Center and in the bookstore. It's also online. It's just a very simple, tried and true plan. Read a chapter in the New Testament or Psalms and a chapter in the Old Testament and you get through the New Testament every year and half of the Old Testament. And you can do one or the other two. You don't have to do both. There are also on the website a couple other uh, plans available uh, if, if you'd like to look at something else and explore something else. But I just really want to encourage you as, as the year begins to turn over, just, just consider how can you ensure that you're able to, on a regular basis, daily or, or, or regularly, be receiving God's voice to you in the midst of all the others that we hear. And now we have the privilege of hearing God's word to us from Isaiah 49. We're in a series called Isaiah, uh, Advent in Isaiah, and we've been uh, listening to the prophet Isaiah speak to us about uh, this person who wasn't on the scene then, but we know has come in the person of Jesus Christ in his first advent at what we celebrate is Christmas and will return for a second advent, the great day of the Lord. So we're in Isaiah chapter 49 and verses 1 to 6, and Doreen's going to read the passage. So thank you, Doreen. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. <clears throat> the Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, 
he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Amen. Let's pray. God, we pause now to quiet our hearts. You are the God who delights in your son. We remember there was a moment in time when you descended to a mountain and spoke to Jesus' disciples saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. You're speaking the same thing to us now. Give us ears to hear these living and active words in Isaiah 49. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying uniquely to each one of us. Make your son as delightful to us as he is to you. We pray. Amen. Coming into Christmas week and the holidays, we sometimes do a puzzle. Leslie gets the table out. We do a puzzle. Any puzzle fans here? Anybody do puzzles? Okay. So you know how it goes with puzzles, especially when you get the harder ones. You know, there's a thousand pieces and it happens regularly. They're hard to put together. It's like, oh, we lost this piece. It's just not here. And, and then a day goes by, two days go by. You keep working and eventually, oh, yeah, no, it was there all along. We just didn't find it because puzzles are hard to do. But I want you to imagine trying to do a puzzle without the box, like without the picture. You know how difficult that would be? Like you got a thousand pieces all spread out and you're trying to figure out how they fit together and you don't actually even know what you're assembling. There's no guide. There's no picture. There's no vision for what you're trying to put together. And I want to say as we come to the book of Isaiah, I think that's what reading the Old Testament is like without Jesus. See, the Old Testament is a bunch of puzzle pieces that you can't fully put together until Jesus comes on the scene. In fact, Jesus explains this to us when he is on the scene in John chapter 5. He says, look, you search the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. That's the, that's the hermeneutical key to reading the Bible. The Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament bears witness to Jesus. And so at this Advent season, we're dropping back to the prophet Isaiah to gaze on some of the many amazing promises that are fulfilled by Jesus of Nazareth. Some are fulfilled at his first arrival and some await his second coming. So, this morning, wherever you are on your journey, there's something here for everyone, even if you're here this morning and maybe you feel like you don't quite fit, like you don't quite belong, like you're a bit of an outsider. You know, 
that's not an uncommon experience. In fact, for many, there's a perception of Christianity that it's a, it's a kind of a narrow religion. I've heard people say, well, Christianity is a white man's religion, or it's a Western religion, or it's a religion whose time has come and gone. But you know, the message of the Bible, this, this good news about Jesus, it isn't just for one little tribe or one little group or one little period of time. It's for people near and far. It's for all people. This is actually being fulfilled in our day. Do you know which continent has the most Christians? Africa. There are more Christians on the continent of Africa than any other continent on the globe. And you know, the founder of Christianity, he wasn't from New York or London. He was from the Middle East. This Jewish Messiah came to bring blessing to all nations. Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Why? Why would God bless his people? Here's why. That your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. Let the nations be glad in Jesus Christ. So that's what Christianity is really all about. And this morning as we come to Isaiah 49, well, the, we're going to get a chance to see this mysterious servant, this, this figure that nobody could have understood in Isaiah's time. Who is this person? This mysterious servant. We're going to lift our eyes from the servant to Jesus, and we're going to discover the mysterious servant is Jesus. Jesus is the glorious Savior of the nations. So the question for everyone here, the question is your listening, watching online is this. Are you listening to him? Are you listening? Because this is exactly where the text starts. Look at chapter 49 and verse 1. Keep your Bibles open and available as we go through the passage here. The first half of the first verse. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. Now, you know the situation. This is a person trying to get somebody to pay attention, right? So parents, you know how this, is, how this goes with your kids, right? You're trying to get your kids to listen to you. Teachers, you know how this goes with a classroom or with Grace Kids downstairs. You're, you're, you know how this goes as you're trying to lead a team or lead a team meeting, and you're trying to get people to pay attention. Listen. Pay attention. That's the summons. Now, the question is, who's talking here in Isaiah 49, verse 1? And the reality is, as we look at this passage, we'll discover this isn't God telling the world to listen to him, though he certainly does that at other times. This is a person that God calls my servant. And this servant of the Lord is telling the whole world to listen to him. This servant is summoning all nations to listen to what he has to say. And, and what does he have to say? This is, a, this is a kind of an unusual little passage of scripture because, you know, it, it's really an autobiography. This is the servant speaking in the first person. Listen to me. And, and he's, he's telling us who he is, why we should listen to him, and what his mission is. The servant is calling out to the people of the world, Melbourne and Moscow, Egypt and Argentina, Beijing and Baltimore 
and Baghdad and everywhere else. And he's saying, come listen to me. Now, some people dismiss Christianity because of hypocrisy in the church or because they were raised with a different religion or raised with no religion at all. And let's humbly acknowledge that Christians have been guilty of many grievous sins. But that isn't a reason to dismiss Jesus any more than saying people shouldn't drive cars. Why? Because some people have misused the privilege. We don't, we don't set aside cars because of bad drivers and we don't set aside Jesus because of sin in the church. In fact, here's an opportunity for us to listen to this servant and see how it becomes evident that it's Christ. Can you hear the call this morning? Listen. It's as though God were here in person this morning and saying, Put your phone down. Quiet your heart. You have so many voices in your life. But here's a voice with a message of life and light and salvation. And this message is for you. That's the urgent call from the servant to you this morning. Come and listen to what he has to say. And why? Why should we listen? Well, the rest of the passage, we're going to unpack three reasons why we should listen to him. Look back at your Bibles, please. The second part of verse 1 goes like this. The Lord called me. There's this autobiography. The Lord called me from the womb and from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver, he hid me away, and he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Why should we listen to him? Well, first, listen because God called him. Who is this mysterious person? Well, whoever it is, which wouldn't have been clear to Isaiah and the people uh, of his time, this person is called by God and named by God from before he was born. Alive in his mother's womb, he was called and named by God. And his mouth, he says, is like a sharp sword. What does that mean? It's kind of a weird, sound, sort of violent-sounding imagery. But the idea here is that this person is coming into a hostile environment, but he's going to win his battles, not with an army, but with his words, by truth. And he's being concealed by God. God will set him aside, and then at the right time, at the fullness of time, God will make him known to the world. Who is this? Is this the prophet Isaiah? Is it a prophet like Jeremiah? You are my servant Israel. Huh, that doesn't sound like one of the prophets. Okay. And you are my servant Israel, he says in verse 3, in whom I will be glorified. Who is this figure? It's a person but Israel is a nation. How does this all fit together? And this servant is commanding people to listen to him because he has God's stamp of approval, which the nation of Israel in that moment in time did not. Who is this? Well, as we keep reading, we'll find we've got some surprises coming and a couple more reasons to listen to him. Verse four, look back there with me, please. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense is with God. Why should we listen to this person, this servant? Well, listen because he worked faithfully for God. Which if you think about it, like that's what servants are supposed to do, right? Servants are supposed to serve the Lord or the, 
the master. There's a, a, a story, if you've ever read through the book of Genesis, there's a moment where Isaac uh, needs to, Abraham needs to find a, a wife for his, his son Isaac, and he doesn't want to get a, a, a woman from the pagan area that he lived in. So he sends his servant on this long journey to go back home and find a wife for Isaac. And when the servant goes, we never even learn the servant's name, but the servant goes with the authority of Abraham, with the mission of Abraham, with the words of Abraham, and he accomplishes what Abraham sends him to do and brings back a wife for Isaac. Now, the nation of Israel had been commissioned by God to be his servant. But the servant that's on the scene here in verses 3 and 4 is different because this servant was faithful to God. In fact, he says, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. So what's he saying here? Here's a surprise. This servant has come and he's spent his strength for God. He's poured himself out for God. He's emptied himself out for God. He's toiled and labored and given himself to God's work. But here's the surprise. It doesn't seem like it's accomplished anything. Vanity, the same word that we find over and over in Ecclesiastes is here. It's in vain. I have labored in vain. So Isaiah is looking into the future at this mysterious servant and he's seeing that the servant has been working for God faithfully, but he's discouraged. He's disheartened over the lack of results. And I've already told you that we're going to put this puzzle piece together and we're going to see that it's Jesus. And we want to say, did Jesus ever really experience that? Was Jesus ever faithful to serve his father and, and discouraged and disheartened by the lack of results in the midst of it? And I want to say yes. He was. We learn in Hebrews 4 that Jesus was tempted as we are. All the same experiences that we have, yet without sin. Where do we see this in Jesus' ministry? Well, think about that time, that moment where in, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been just once more tested by the hard-hearted Pharisees. They test him over and over and over, and they just won't believe. And, and, and he, he, as they're testing him once more, Mark records for us that he sighs deeply in his spirit. And you hear that. And he says, why does this generation seek for a sign? And not too much later, the disciples, once more they don't get it. And he just looks at me and says, do you not yet understand? How long is this going to take? And then his city, Jerusalem, can you hear his heart in this? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killing the prophets. I would have gathered you, but you weren't willing. I've labored in vain. Oh, brothers and sisters, I wonder if you can relate to that. Have you ever had the experience of seeking to work faithfully for God and having it not turn out as you hoped. Maybe you're sitting here today and that's right where you are today. Maybe you've worked at a job, poured yourself out, just trying to honor the Lord, and it just, it never goes well. And you look back and you say, why? Was it a waste? Maybe you've labored to get a college degree, bachelor's, a master's, a PhD. And now you look back, you've got the degree, and you say, didn't seem to have taken me where I thought I was going to go. Thought I was faithfully serving the Lord. Was it a waste? Maybe you're in a marriage. You've worked at it. You've tried to love each other. And it just, 
it just hasn't come together the way you'd hoped. Is it empty? Parents, moms and dads, maybe you've poured your hearts out trying to make disciples of your kids. And they're not following the Lord. They've wandered like lost sheep. Do you wonder? I've labored in vain. Was it empty? Let the servant help us. Hear me now. If despair is his first thought, it's not his last. Look back at verse 4. I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet, can you see the turn? Surely, my right is with the Lord. Surely, my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. What does that mean? When he says, my right is with the Lord, what he's saying is, I'm going to leave this to God to set things right and to decide what to make of all this. And my recompense with the Lord, the final accounting, he's saying, isn't mine. It's God's. And I'm going to leave that with him. I'm going to let God decide about the fruit of my labors, not me. I'm going to rest in God's wisdom and let him tally the results. The best example of this ever, look at the cross. What a waste of a promising life. Look at the body dead in a tomb on Saturday. What a waste of a prophet. Come to Easter morning. Jesus rises from the dead. And the cross wasn't a waste. No. The final accounting is with God. And the cross becomes the source of salvation for all who will believe. And our God hasn't changed. You work faithfully for God and leave the results to him. Rest there, just like your saving kingly servant Jesus does too. Third reason, listen to him because his mission includes you. You're in this passage. And we've been working on figuring out the identity of this servant. In verse three, we saw the servant as Israel. But here's a surprise. Now we're going to find out that the servant is actually going to bring Israel back to God. Look at verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob, that's a, a way of describing Israel, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. Look down in verse 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Here is the riddle. How can the servant be Israel, verse 3, and rescue and redeem Israel, verses 5 and 6? How can that work? What's, what's happening here? So now let's try to put these, put these pieces together. Remember, we're in maybe around B.C. 680. Isaiah is 
prophesying and he's sending this letter, this prophetic word into the future. And he's sending it to the people of Israel when they'll be a hundred years later exiled in the nation of Babylon, far from home. They've been judged by God. They were supposed to be his servant, but they've been judged by God for their idolatry and their hard hearts. They had failed in their Mission says in chapter 2 that they're blind and deaf. In chapter 42, in chapter 48, Israel is called obstinate and treacherous. But the nations are still on God's heart. So what will he do? He can give up and abandon the plan of redemption. Or he can find a better servant. A new servant. A different servant. And that's what he does. And now this better servant, this new servant comes into view and that servant comes into view with a double mission. Mission number one is to bring back the wandering sheep of Israel. Not just to Jerusalem, but more importantly to God. Verse five, bring Jacob back to him, back to the Lord, that Israel might be gathered to him. Bring these lost sheep back into a relationship with the living, saving God. That's mission number one. But that mission, God says, isn't enough. I've got more for you. Mission number two is to bring God's salvation to the peoples of the nations, to every family and tribe on earth, to Africa and Asia, to the Middle East and Europe, to North and South America and Australia and New Zealand, to islands and deserts and villages and cities and all people everywhere. This servant, hear this, this servant doesn't just announce God's salvation. This servant is God's salvation. He's salvation incarnate. His name is Jesus. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth, that you might be my salvation to the end of the earth. Salvation from what? Salvation from the darkness of sin and lies and Satan and death and hell. The servant has come to save and he's come for you. And that's good news. How does this good news reach into our world today? Well, let's just take one place that comes into view right here in this passage. This passage speaks into the political nation of Israel and into the Gaza Strip today. Today we see Jewish people miraculously still existing after thousands of years of wandering, having endured unprecedented hatred and hostility in the Holocaust and countless other ways, suffering and hurting. And let me say as an aside, my Jewish friends tell me this is a uniquely difficult time to be a Jewish person. If you have Jewish friends, coworkers, colleagues, neighbors, I just want to encourage you to reach out to them. Ask them how they're doing. Pray for them. Ask them if you can be praying for them. Pray with them. This passage reaches out to these people. Jacob. And Israel, but not just them. Because today we see Palestinians in Gaza, Arabs, people made in the image of God, suffering because of the acts of terrorists in their midst and now suffering a terrifying and destructive war. Who can bring light to this darkness? I'm standing up here talking today, but you know, my message isn't listen to me. My message is listen to him. 
Listen to the light of the world. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Gaza. Pray for the leaders and the decision makers. Pray for wisdom and justice and peace. And pray for the good news of Jesus Christ to bring light and hope to suffering and hurting and lost people in Israel and Gaza. In the Middle East, pray for the Christians who live in Gaza and in Israel. Because we live in a time when Isaiah 49, 6 is being fulfilled amongst us. Being fulfilled in the world in which we live. You know, as we're remembering Advent, the Christmas story, you remember one of the unexpected things that happens in the Christmas story is that wise men come from another country, from another nation, from the East, and they bring Gifts, and they come and kneel and worship the child, King Jesus. That was the beginning of the fulfillment of Isaiah 49, 6, right at Jesus' birth. And it's still being fulfilled in our day today. And church, I love being a part of a church that is so excited about and active in bringing the good news of Jesus to the nations of the world. Thank you for your heart for the nations. Thank you for being ambassadors for Christ at work, in your neighborhoods, in school. Thank you for the way you reach out to international people in our community. Even last night, being able to be downstairs with a, the opportunity to have a prayer night for the Uyghur people who are suffer, suffering unspeakable evil and tragedy in this moment. I'm so grateful to be a part of a people with a heart for the nations. But you know, this passage is, is for all of us. And Jesus is saying, listen to me. And I wonder, even as the year turns over, what's your place in Isaiah 49.6? What's your place in the fulfilling of the nations? Being a part of a congregation like this is a part of it. Often, most of us will be involved mostly in praying and sending and sponsoring and encouraging. But sometimes, God calls more than that, right, Kim? Right, Dave? Sometimes God works inside of us and there's more in terms of our involvement. I just wonder, have you asked God how he wants you to be personally involved in the nations being reached with the good news of Christ? Not that everybody's going to go be missionaries. No, that's not needed and that's not God's will. But everybody's to hear and be involved. And I wonder if, if a Christmas offering to bring to King Jesus this Christmas might not just be for each one of us to bring our hearts before him, maybe for the first time, maybe for this thousandth, and say, Lord, here I am. I am your servant. How do you want to use me to reach the nations? If you're interested and want to understand more about missions, please reach out to our missions pastor, Edward. He'd love to chat with you more about that. Let's pull this all together. The last thing I want to just highlight is this unfolding mystery that the servant is Jesus. The Old Testament is this, this unfolding mystery. I'm taking this from a title of a wonderful book by Edmund Clowney. It's a, an unfolding mystery. So this, this is an Advent passage, even though it happens long before, 700 years before Jesus is born. It points us to the arriving of Jesus Christ. And these Isaiah messages that we've been doing, well, they all fit together to assemble a picture of Jesus for us. Two weeks ago, we were in chapter 11. Remember that? The shoot from Jesse's stump 
Well, the, the, the one that we're waiting for, the Savior, the Messiah, that means he's going to be a king from David's line. Looked like the tree was cut down, but it's not dead. It's alive. Last week, chapter 40, a divine deliverer. God coming in person to a people in exile to rescue and save, bringing comfort and freedom. Today, chapter 49, we're back to a, a human servant with a double mission to Jews and Gentiles as well. Next Sunday morning, Isaiah 53, and we'll see, oh, this servant is stunningly a suffering servant who gives himself as a ransom for many. And then next Sunday in the evening, the passage in Isaiah 9 that ties it all together, human and divine. Unto us a child is born. Who's the child? Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You'll call his name Jesus. He's a child, and he's the mighty God. He's the king, and he's come to rule and to reign. You know, sometimes I hear people say, I, you know, I've tried reading the Bible, and I, it's confusing. And, and I get it. It's a, it's a big book, 66 books together in an anthology. I get it. It's an, it's, it's, it's an old book. It's about... Places and times, not, not so uh, obvious to us. But I want to encourage you, stick with reading the Bible and you'll find it's not just a jumble of disconnected things. It's not like that pile of clutter in that junk drawer that you have that you don't even like to open because it's scary. Keep it closed. It's not like that. The Bible is a masterpiece. It's an unfolding mystery that features Jesus Christ as the central figure in a love story. And you are in that story. It's written to you and for you. The Lord's servant, as we've seen today, points us to the coming of Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God who became one of us. The king who came as a servant, right? I'd never put this together. We, we just went through the gospel of Mark. Jesus comes and he says, I didn't come to what? Be served, but to serve. What's the language he's using there? Duh, I never connected Isaiah 49 and Mark 10. He's come as the servant. He's fulfilling everything that's here in Isaiah 49. He's come not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. These words, can you hear them and feel them this morning? These aren't empty words. These are living words. Living and active. Sharper than what? Any two-edged sword. I wonder where the writer of the Hebrews got that idea. And, and reading this passage, thinking about this unfolding mystery and those words from his mouth, it helps me when I open my Bible and read because I have, I have a tendency to just, oh, okay, I'm supposed to do this because I'm a Christian or I need to do this to check the box or I'm a pastor, I better be reading my Bible or whatever. But you know what? This helps me remember that when I open my Bible, I'm not just doing something that's necessary or reading a religious book. As I read these words, you know what I'm doing? I'm having a conversation. I'm in a relationship with a great king. And I'm his subject and his son. And he loves me. And he wants to have a conversation with me. Listen to me, O RGC, and give attention 
you brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we listening? And as we process this, we remember that his message wasn't just for one tribe, one group, or one time, but it's for all people and for all time. And it's for you. And so I want to encourage you this week, if you haven't had a chance to do this, see if you can find a way. I know it's busy. See if you can find a way just to slow down a little bit and read Isaiah 53. Read Isaiah 9, 2 to 6. If you can get a little more time, read Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. Ponder. Meditate. Turn off the phone. Set aside the distractions. Listen. Listen. Bring God those places in your life right now where you look and you think, what a waste. Oh, bring those to him. Bring them to him for life and hope and light and joy. Come adore on bended knee. Christ the Lord, the newborn king, who is the servant of the Lord. And may God send us out into our world this week with joy and courage to proclaim this message to the nations and to the people that we'll interact with. The mysterious servant is Jesus, our great King. Let's keep listening.